The island of Newfoundland keeps its secrets close, shrouds them in mystery. But once in a while, the fog is lifted. The truth comes out. I get a feeling there's something going on here. My whole body was shaken. You go to bed believing that you're a certain person one night, and then all of a sudden the next day, everything that you've known is not true. This is not the life that I should have lived. I'm Luke Quinton from CBC. This is Come By Chance. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. At first, it seems so simple. You just have to fill out a form. There's a series of questions in the form, but I always like to start with the easiest one. It's not in this order, but the question is, I am at least 18 years of age. I always like asking that question first because it just seems like it changes the dynamic in the room. So they see that we're not out to trick them. We're not out to give them a test that they might fail, but we're all in this together. This is Franca. My name is Franca Maraglia, and I'm an independent witness volunteer for medical assistance in dying. When the Law on Medical Assistance in Dying, or MAID, that's M-A-I-D, passed in 2016, it introduced some important safeguards. To qualify, there are criteria about how sick you have to be and in what way. Two nurses or medical practitioners have to agree that a made death is right for you, if you choose it. There's a waiting period of usually at least 10 days between submitting your application and receiving an assisted death. And, of course, a clear stipulation that you can change your mind at any moment, even the last. These safeguards all might sound familiar, or at least not that surprising. But there is one safeguard when it comes to medically-assisted deaths that might surprise you. The witnesses. Not witnesses to the death itself, but witnesses for the application. Like how you might get someone to witness if you sign up for a mortgage. Before someone can be provided with a medically-assisted death, they have to submit their request in writing. And that request must be signed and dated by the applicant in front of two independent witnesses. These witnesses cannot be involved directly in the applicant's care and cannot stand to benefit, financially or otherwise, from the person's death. This rules out healthcare professionals and caregivers directly connected to the patient. It also rules out many family members and friends. Which means, in some cases, it is very difficult for patients to find someone to be their witness. And that's where people like Franca come in. Franca is one of some 300 volunteers who are signed up across the country with Dying with Dignity Canada, which oversees a program for independent witnesses for MAID. I'm AC Rowe, and this is The Doc Project. Today, three independent witnesses on why they do what they do, and if they even think their role should exist at all. Strictly speaking, a witness's only job is to watch the applicant signing and dating their request, and then to sign and date the request themselves. That's it. But many witnesses have found their role is much more complex. They are entering someone's life at such a vulnerable moment, as a complete stranger. And that's where we're starting, with Franca 
as she reviews an application form for a medically assisted death. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you can stop me if you need me to say it louder, to slow down, to explain what the question means. But what I need from you is a very clear response. You need to tell me absolutely yes or no. And both of us, both witnesses, need to be able to hear your answer to these questions. I don't tell a lot of people that I do independent witnessing. I know that there's a lot of people who have ideas of their own about medical assistance and dying. There's also this sort of feeling that it is a little macabre to do it. And I get a lot of people just thinking that it's a little weird. You know, they, they think it's a weird thing to do with my days. My cousin had ALS and he suffered for a number of years. And when he finally wanted to avail himself of medical assistance in dying, he didn't want to tell anybody. And so it was the secret thing that he and his wife did and left the rest of us completely in the dark about. And the reason that he didn't share it was because there's still a lot of negative connotations or negative feelings about this and I thought that if I could play a small role in making it more acceptable as an option that I wanted to make sure I did that. My very first independent witnessing session. I was very nervous about making sure that I was getting the paperwork right and and I was doing everything by the book. And I remember he was a elderly gentleman. He had served in the war. And so I made a point of thanking him for his service. And I was, you know, fumbling around with my papers. And you could tell that he was sort of watching me a little Maybe impatiently, I apologized and I said, you know, this is my first time. And he stopped in, you know, a rather gruff voice said to me, well, for God's sakes, make sure you do this right. I don't want you to have to come back. He was actually like giving me heck. And I kind of held my breath. And then I looked at him and I realized he was just kidding. And we all broke out laughing. And it just sort of took the temperature in the room down a bit and made me realize that that yes, I'm there to do a legally required process, but that I need to pay just as much attention to the person in the room that I'm doing this for. My name is Pat. I was a nurse at the hospital for sick children, and I'm retired now. I am a witness for people seeking medical assistance in dying. In 1986, my sister, who was four years older than I was, at the time she was 48, had a terminal illness, and it was very obvious that she was not going to survive. She had ovarian cancer. I looked after her on a daily basis and watched her uh, have this very protracted end of her life and at the time was really haunted by the fact that no matter what I did, it was not sufficient to ease her pain. And it it occurred to me at the time there should be some way to help her transition into her death. 
when this was all over and I was left with the memory of, of her struggle, I called Dying with Dignity and told them the story and said, is there anything I could possibly have done to help my sister not have this difficult end of her life? They said, yes. Very, very simple. You could have put a pillow over her face. That was so shocking to me. The suggestion that I actually would be the person responsible for her death and and kill her. So I carried that kind of conversation for a while, all the time thinking there must be another way. Clinician Aid A, Patient Requests for Medical Assistance in Dying, Ministry of Health, Ministry of Long-Term Care. Section 1, Patient Information. Section 2, I request that a doctor or nurse practitioner help me to die. I confirm that I am eligible for health services funded by the government in Canada. I am at least 18 years of age. I have been informed by my doctor or nurse practitioner that I have a grievous and irremediable condition. My name is Glenn McDonald. I have a background in computers and math. My very first witnessing experience was pretty unforgettable. I got off the subway uh, here in Toronto and I met the other two witnesses just outside the subway station and none of us had done this before. We were all newbies and we were all kind of nervous and wondering what exactly was going to transpire. So we went in we went in a bit cold and we walked in, we introduced ourselves and the the daughter explained to us that her mother's wishes were very clear and when we went in and we spoke to her, her mother was lying there in the bed, obviously in pain, but it became clear fairly soon that she was having trouble speaking and we were leaning over and trying to trying to catch her words, but it was just a whisper of a voice very weak woman lying there in the bed. And there was three of us because the woman had lost the ability to use her hand to sign the papers. The law allows for what's called a proxy and the proxy was speaking clearly and loudly to make sure that the, the woman could understand. The woman unfortunately was just whispering and it was sort of like, you know, just a just a whisper in the background and, you, and you, we were all kind of like leaning over trying to catch her words and she was slurring her words, and it just wasn't clear that, that she understood, either understood or was, was having trouble speaking. We just couldn't figure it out. They have to tick. There's a little box, and you have to go tick, tick, tick. I am asking for help to die voluntarily and not as a result of pressure from others. I am giving my informed consent to receive medical assistance in dying and have been informed of the means that are available to me to relieve my suffering, including palliative care. One of the things that we need to do as independent witnesses is that with very little information, we have to ascertain 
is this person able to give consent? And part of that is just to be very aware of what is actually happening in the room. What's the dynamics? What are the relationships? You know, are is everybody in the room uh, on board with this request? It's a very intimate moment in the middle of their lives. And you never underestimate how the role that you're playing has an effect on the people in the room. And you don't want to do anything to add to the stress or the upset already. But at the same time, it's a legal requirement. So you need to do your job fully and carefully. At one point, I acted as the proxy and I, you know, I was speaking in a clear precise voice and trying to enunciate very clearly, asking her whether or not, you know, this is what her wishes were going point by point through the form. And I just couldn't make out what the woman was saying. And so this went on for the better part of an hour and we continued to struggle. So we decided to take a a, a short recess. We went outside her room. We then spoke privately with the daughter and said that we weren't clear on whether or not her mother understood. It wasn't clear to us that she had the mental faculties to proceed. She said to us, oh no, 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 no. My my mother is very clear. She's just maybe having trouble speaking with you or she's shy or something. But no, no, my, my mother has has been very clear to me about what she wanted. The daughter said to us that, only a few days prior, her, her mom had been very, very cogent and speaking clearly and expressed her very clear wishes that she did not want to continue suffering and that she wanted medical assistance in dying. But, of course, this is not good enough. This doesn't meet the bar for us because we, as witnesses, we are the ones who need to you know, see and witness the patient and, and make sure that they are the ones that are clear about their requests and not some family member. In those few short days, her mother's condition had very much worsened to the point where, you know, not only had she lost the ability to use her her hands, she was losing the ability to speak. So we suggested to the daughter that what we would do is that we would come back the next day in the hopes that maybe her mother was just having a bad day and that we would reconvene at the same time tomorrow and try again. Some of them can be very uh, uplifting, very joyful, and even very funny. I remember we were going to a hospice. We were waiting for a while, and we were a little concerned for why this wait was required. And eventually the nurse came out and said, yes, the patient was ready to see us. And sure enough, we found this wonderfully sweet little old lady with a full wig on, bright red lipstick, her makeup all done. And without much fanfare, she just started by saying, you know, my entire life I've been a poet and I've written a poem for this occasion. Without any notes, she launches into this amazing poem. And I'll always remember the ending. And to my friends and family who may question my decision to end things this way, to you I say, F off. 
we just laughed all together and it was just such a great moment of joy really I think the hardest thing for me to see when we're filling out the papers is the intimacy between the person who's chosen to die and their family member or who is with them and it it feels in a way intrusive because it's such a deeply personal thing it's just goodness me here i am a complete stranger and yet being exposed to this incredibly intimate moment one time I was witnessing in somebody's home and this person whose son was with her said i've I, actually um you can leave now because i've changed my mind and the son looked absolutely totally shocked and i said you know we can easily come back uh, another time we can come back tomorrow or later in the day or something and the son said no no he said please don't leave if you knew my mom this is exactly how we've gone through life so we became silent background witnesses to the conversation between the the mother and the son to be witnessing a mother and a son having such a incredible conversation was was quite something we were seeing a relationship that had developed over years and years and years and i think the reason why we sat back is that when the papers are filled out and she is cleared from a perspective of a witness she's not legally bound to die she still can say um i i did those witness papers a week ago and i really have changed my mind i'm not going to do it i don't know if she went through with this at the end all we did was give her the paperwork to be able to do it as witnesses you don't know the end of the sentence all you know is your part in facilitating them getting to the end of the sentence our curiosity has no place in this process our job is to get the legal requirement done to make it as uh, smooth as possible and to not be intrusive we're not there for us we're there for them so that they can go to the next step in the process which is the medical assistance in dying i don't see myself as a decision maker so much as a facilitator the decision has to to rest solely with the person i am just there as a the helper as someone who can ease the pain involved in end of life decisions So the next day we went back in there and we we tried our best we spoke to the the woman in a in a loud clear voice but we just couldn't ascertain whether or not she had the mental capacity to continue with the request for medical assistance in dying we just had to give up and so we had a very difficult conversation with the daughter and explained that as witnesses we couldn't do this we just couldn't proceed in good conscience we unfortunately couldn't go through with the request the daughter was pretty devastated and and dejected and you know watching her mother suffer there in the bed not being able to do anything about it 
And the three of us dejectedly walked away. And for me personally, I really was starting to question what I had gotten myself into here because here I found myself in this really tough ethical dilemma. And and I thought, is this how it's going to go for all of them? Am am I going to just be constantly dealing with these ethical minefields? That was my first witnessing. So it was, it was, it was a very, very tough one. And I'm happy to report that um, it was actually out of all the witnessings I've done, and there's been many, many over the last three years, that in fact was the most difficult one. At the very beginning, when I first started, it's not an easy thing to do. I'm doing it because I know I want to do it, but it's still tough. And so at the end of the session, I would go and treat myself to a donut. And, you know, my rational side knew that this was not a smart thing to do, but my emotional side just felt like in that moment I needed a donut. And it didn't take long when you consider that a donut after every session would add up a lot. And so I had to have a frank talking to myself. And now what I really try to focus on is just the sense of appreciation. It is a weird thing going into people's homes, having never met them before and close to the end of their lives and dealing with this very tense situation. It is weird. (laughs) There's no getting around it. It's weird. AC here. Coming up, the question Franca least likes asking, and what happens when it's time to sign the form. Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking For It. Subscribe now. For me as a witness, to be able to do something that expedites a person's very personal wish about the end of their life is, is a privilege. And I think having a witness makes it a safer choice for people who choose to die. The last question in the form for the patient It's a difficult question to say out loud. I am giving my informed consent to receive medical assistance in dying and have been informed of the means that are available to me to relieve my suffering, including palliative care. And I think it's a difficult question because it feels like it's almost asking the patient to second guess themselves. You know, the patient has gone through a lot to decide this. And yet that last question kind of feels like, it feels like it's really asking them to give consideration to back out. After you've been through all of that, 
it's a tough question for me to ask. And, and I never want them to think that I'm asking it from a place of judgment. I guess that's probably my biggest concern is I don't want them to think that I'm making the judgment that is implied in the way the question is written. And then we have to watch them sign the actual document. And inevitably, this is the part where they're always so apologetic that their signature isn't as nice as it used to be, or that it's not as legible as it used to be. I think people have this sense that if they're not signing it perfectly, that that might be another time where we can reject the application. So there's a lot of us reassuring them that as long as it's their signature, they don't have to worry about how messy it is or if it's the way it used to be. And then as a witness, we have to do a little tick box thing that's saying... Section 4, Witness Present Upon Signing and Declaration of Witnesses. By signing below, I declare that I am at least 18 years of age. I understand the nature of the person's request for medical assistance in dying. The patient or the authorized patient third person. or authorized third person in the presence at the express direction of the patient have signed the request for medical assistance in dying in my presence and in the presence of other independent witnesses. I am signing under the person's direction. And, and I do not know, do or, not believe know or believe that I am a beneficiary of the will of the person making the request. Or a recipient in any other way of a financial or other material benefit resulting from the person's death. When you actually read these things out loud to um, the patient, it really sharply focuses on <laughs> the reason for you being there. Now with COVID, uh, we have to add the complication of technology because we're not doing sessions in person. We're doing them over Zoom or FaceTime. And so you've got the added complication of a elderly person who may not be comfortable with technology for both the witnesses to be in different uh, locations so we can't communicate to each other non-verbally. It's not as easy to pick up the, the sort of the vibe of the room as easy as it would be if you were walking in in person. But we've all gotten better. And within a minute or two, just by asking a couple of questions and listening carefully to the responses and looking at the facial expressions of, of the people, you can get a, a very clear sense of how the person is doing whether they are clear about their requests, whether they're, they are of sound mind, it's, it's just a little bit harder. I feel right now with um, virtual witnessing that it's a bit of a loss for me to not have that uh, interpersonal opportunity with people who've made this choice. It's not something that I like doing as much as I used to. I like the openness that I experience when I go into someone's home or hospital room. You're a welcome sight to these people. When somebody is terminally ill, they lose control of, of absolutely everything. 
And you can see the moment when they actually experience getting back this control. And thank you is such a, a common phrase that we all say. When, when you see a witness say thank you, it is so different than when you say thanks for my cup of coffee. My very first witnessing with Dying with Dignity was a 26-year-old man who was at home and being cared for by his brother. And there he was lying in bed. He was on oxygen in quite a lot of pain and distress. So we went through the process and we, we walked out into the hall. I was just whew, in quite an emotional place. And the brother came back and said, he wants to say something. Would you mind coming back in? He wasn't very verbal because he was on oxygen. He was doing a lot of nodding. And so I went over to the bed and he stuck out his hand. And so I took his hand. And with the other hand, he took his oxygen off. And looking me straight in the eye, he said, thank you for understanding. I came away thinking, that's exactly what I was hoping for, was giving somebody who, who knows they're at the end of their life the control to have this opportunity to say, this is what I want, and this is when I want it. Gratitude can be tricky, right? Especially when it's coming from someone who is facing death. And I'm always so overwhelmed by how much every single patient stops and expresses so purely and clearly their gratitude that sometimes you have to kind of stop and really take it in. And it can be difficult sometimes because you know that this is probably one of the last connections they're making with a a stranger, that we're probably the last new person that they're going to be introduced to. And that desire to still make a connection with us, even for that very short period that we're in their space, is something that is very profound. And now I think about what do I really want to say in that moment to really let them know that I really am honored to have been part of this process for them. I've really learned to not cut them off and to sit in that gratitude and let them express it as much as they want to. And then for us to say our goodbyes and then leave them to the next stage of the process. I think it's useful to have independent witnesses. I think that sometimes it is a bit arduous to force people to have witnesses, you know, perfect strangers be inflicted upon them. The law demands that you have two witnesses, and I think it's still probably a good idea to have at least one witness. I don't know if two is required, but it, it does sometimes present an obstacle to people to relieving their suffering in a timely fashion. The idea that you're sick and you're in a great deal of pain and then suddenly you or your family member has to find two independent people 
to witness to your ability to give consent just seems like a huge unnecessary hurdle. I don't agree with the government's requirement for us to have two independent witnesses. My goal ultimately is to advocate to remove the program completely. And so it's a little strange because I'm actually volunteering to do something that at heart I actually disagree with. And I really think that the government should trust the patient, trust the medical team, and allow the medical team and the patient to make the decisions and not require two people from the outside to come in and play this function of independent witness. I think that witnessing has really helped me to understand the fragility and the temporary nature of life and it's forced me to come to grips with the fact that I'm I'm no different than anybody else we're all going to die and that every day that we're alive is a gift and we should try to do the best we can to help others and be a good person I mean I'm definitely not a perfect person but it's nice to be able to to give back and uh, to be helpful. So that's, I think that's what it's taught me. Honestly, I, I see it as a, as a gift and that I'm given this opportunity. I like doing it. I feel, I feel useful. I just, I feel compelled to do it in a way. Yeah. I'm only in my mid fifties, so I've hopefully got a, you know, quite a few years ahead of me, but I mean, when my time comes, I would hope that if I was in that situation where I was suffering and I was making a request for uh, medical assistance and dying, that, um, that someone would step up to the plate and act as a witness for my request. Witnessing is just really, for me, a continuum for my life quest which has been to have a voice and to allow others to have a voice. So knowing that the people that we are with find their own voice and their voice gets heard, it feels just exactly right. And and the right thing for me as I'm, (laughs) you know, in my 80th year, uh, to me, it's just the right thing. I really strongly believe that we do have a right to decide when and how we end our lives. And so the idea that I'm actually helping somebody on the road to getting what they want and to get the ending that they want is something that's very gratifying to me. And it might not be the end that other people envision, but it's the end that they want and they have a right to it. That doc was produced by Eliza Siegel. It was edited by Allison Cook. Currently, Bill C-7, an act to amend the criminal code, medical assistance in dying, 
is winding its way through Canada's legislative process with a court-ordered deadline of December 18, 2020. The main purpose of the bill is that it would broaden eligibility for MAID by repealing the requirement that the person's natural death has become reasonably foreseeable. But it covers other ground, too. If Bill C-7 passes, there will be significant changes to independent witnessing, including reducing the number of witnesses needed from two to one and allowing the applicants paid professional health or personal care workers to do the job. Earlier this week, the bill passed its third reading in the House. It's now with the Senate. That's all for us this week. The Doc Project is produced by Allison Cook, Mark Apollonio, Tanera McLean, Sherry Okeke, Julia Poggle, and me. Althea Manassan is our digital producer, this week with Jonathan Orr. Our senior producer is Jennifer Warren, and our executive producer is Joan Melanson. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.